Welcome to another episode of the Revisited Podcast. I'm Ben. And I'm Kristen. This week we are covering Season 5, Episode 8, La Fleur, which I'm really excited about. I, let me tell you, I know we've made mention of this already a couple times in past episodes. More than uh, five, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is one of my favorite episodes of the season. I love this episode. And I don't even like I don't even really understand why. Well, I mean, I know the re- my reasons why I love it, but compared to other episodes that we've gotten so far, this is a very low-key, not deep dive episode. Yeah, it yes, but it's filled with a lot of heart. It's filled with um you know, a couple of questions that you have like kind of nagging at you at the back of your head. Um it's it's you know what it's just a good solid hour of television. Yeah, not well forty two minutes, but yeah, but yeah, with was, commercials. That's, that's true. Yeah, I mean let's uh, never mind. <laughs> so I'm gonna make a joke is, about whatever commercials were on at that time, but I know. So this is the third episode um, that has been named after one of our characters' alias names. So we have Meet Kevin Johnson. We have the life and death of Jeremy Bentham, and then we have Lafleur. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of cool. That you know, if if you're in the know of Lost and the characters and kind of the story and the lore, you know exactly who this story is going to be about the minute you see the title. Well, not only that, but I love the fact that this is the first. Like, this, you're right. This is the third episode that we have that's named after an alias of a character, but mm-hmm. this is technically an alias of an alias. Right. Because Sawyer is not his name. Sawyer is an alias. But James is his his name. Well, yeah, but and he keeps the first name throughout all of the aliases. He's James Sawyer. Isn't he James Sawyer? No, I think he's just Sawyer, isn't he? No, I think he's I think he's James Sawyer. Okay. 
I think on uh, on the on the island he was just Sawyer, like Bono Sawyer. or Cher yeah. or something like that. I mean, I might be totally wrong on that, and if I am, I'm. No, I think isn't his real name Jer- James Ford? James Ford, yeah, right. So, I mean, is Sawyer technically the first name he goes by? I gotta look oh. it up because if yeah. I'm wrong about this. Well, what's it's, interesting is that it. But while you're looking it up, is that Lafleur, which means uh, the flower, it's a Creole name, and he takes homage to that from his mother, who was uh, whose descendants were Creole. So he kept it about as truthful as he could to himself while still having an alias. Yeah, and which I, I'm, I find I'm- is is very telling of how far this character has come since the very beginning of the series. This episode alone really shines a light on how far this character has come. Because this is like this is the one episode that by the end of it, if you're not a fan of Sawyer as a character, there's never something there's something wrong. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe there's not something wrong with you. You put it better. Mine mine sounds a little degrading, but um, <laughs> you put it better is that if you're not a fan by him by the end of this episode, you're not going to be. Yeah, right. You're just never going. And he's he's wonderful in this episode. And that's actually one of my main points is is talking about Sawyer. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to jump right in here. Well, before we do that, let's just make mention real quick that this is a spoilerful podcast. Mm. So uh, we're bound to talk about stuff that's going to be coming up in upcoming episodes before between now and the end. So if this is your first watch uh, and first listen to us, just be aware of that. That's there. There's always a possibility of spoilers. Um, it's not even a possibility anymore. At this point, we just we just say whatever comes out of our mouths. Yeah, that, that's pretty <laughs> accurate. And I will say real quick, too, looking it up, um, he's just known by the alias of Sawyer. It's not James Sawyer. It's just Sawyer. So, yeah, just you Sawyer, right. like Bono. Yeah. So, uh, but go ahead. Just let's dive right in. Yeah, so... You know, looking at Sawyer and how far he's come from the beginning of the series, I think one of one of the things that um, <clears throat> a casual viewer will miss is how smart Sawyer is. Now we know he's he's conniving. We know he's clever. We know he's a really good con man, a professional con man, as he said in the beginning of the episode. He said, "I'm a professional." Um, but when you really look at Sawyer as and and it touches on this episode many times. You know, Sawyer's always reading. He is always reading. He read anything that he could get his hands on, mm-hmm. even when they were on the beach, right? His um his survival instincts are really quick and efficient, and he can, he's very good at thinking on his feet because he's had to for so long. Um, his nicknames for other people are so clever, and they're usually uh, based on literary references or, or cultural references. You know, he, um, he called, he calls, uh, someone Haas earlier, but then he calls, uh, Daniel Faraday. What did he call him in this episode? Plato. Plato. Um, you know, so, and, and he has a couple of other different nicknames. I didn't write them down for some reason, but well, he called, so I, I I remember them off the top of my head. Um, he, he calls Daniel Plato. He calls, uh, Horace Haas, mm-hmm. and he calls Miles. Uh, he calls Miles two different nicknames in this episode. He calls him Bonsai, mm-hmm. um, which is which kind is of racist, borderline racist, borderline racist. <laughs> um, and then later on, he calls him Enos. That's right. 
Um, which I, that's one of my favorite ones because that pop culture reference is something is comes from something that doesn't even exist yet in that time. It's a Dukes of Hazard reference, which won't even hit the ter- airways until 1979. Right. So it doesn't even happen until two years later. So he's calling him something that doesn't even exist yet. Yeah. At least and where they are. It's not only that, but he just, you know, he was able to talk talk down Richard by, you know, basically telling him the truth, you know, and Richard's mind is completely blown. And, you know, that probably saved a lot of lives in mm-hmm. the process. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, how that, how that really changed the trajectory of the original history on the island. Well, it's, it's really interesting that you bring that up because of the fact that there's a number of things that happen in this episode that, kind of make you wonder because for starters like daniel even daniel kind of changes his mind in this point at at this point in time when he says like whatever happens is going to happen like whatever happens already happened like so do what you want at this point but he's also kind of very lost at the moment because he's grieving (laughs) he's grieving over the loss of charlotte which I'll, i'll i have a interesting point on that which we'll get to um in a minute too but you you kind of realize that like by the end of this episode it's very it's a very interesting dynamic to see that they are happy and cheerful for a group of people that they kind of were against when this show first started even though right. they're they're a different group because this is the Dharma initiative this is not the others we know that there is a purge that happens somewhere around the early 90s so the people that they went against are not the people that they are with. So you can kind of understand how they can be legitimately happy for them. But also at the same time, that moment of happiness when Juliet is able to deliver Amy's baby. Mm -hmm. Do you remember who that baby is? It's Ben, isn't it? No, it's not Ben. So I I looked at the timeline. Ben and his father, Roger Workman. Workman. <laughs> um, they are already on the island at this point. They okay, have been that, on okay. The, they have been on the island for a year. Okay. Um, they were brought to the island in 1970. I think it's 1976. Maybe. Or I think so. I think they've already been. They've, they're already on the island. Because Horace, if you remember, back in the episode from The Man from Tallahassee, mm-hmm. Horace is the one that helped deliver Ben. That's right. So Ben is our Ben is like eight years old at well. No, I think he he was he's he's close to teenage years at this point because we get to meet Ben. We yeah. talked about this last episode because there's a lot of interactions between young Ben and Sawyer. So they do happen in this timeline. Okay. Um, yeah, I was trying to figure out the timeline between because I knew that Ben's mom had died in childbirth. And mm. I knew that Ben's dad was Jerry Workman. Um, Roger Workman. Roger Workman. Yeah. But I was having trouble with, because of their, because of Sawyer and company's entrance into the timeline now, I was wondering how much of it had been changed. And I think I overthought it. And I, you know, so I'm glad that you said that. Who, who is it that was? E- it's Ethan. Ethan. Ethan yeah. Fromm. It's Ethan Fromm. Yeah. So, I mean, we are, uh, you know, Ethan, who was 
arguably a horrible person to these guys. He kidnapped them. He tried to kill Charlie, you know, kidnapped Claire. He done a, he's done a lot of horrible things. But Sawyer, at Ben's at Ben's request. Yes, but Sawyer and Juliet helping him to be born is what puts that all into motion. Mm-hmm. Because had Crazy. Juliet not helped, Ethan would have never been born and it would have changed their entire timeline. So it kind of right. goes right into what Daniel said yep. is that whatever happens happened. You know, That's so like crazy. it's these it's it's the fucking compass. Yeah. Like well, it, and it's I have that circle. I have in my notes um it's regarding Richard Alpert, but but it goes right into what you're saying is, you know, the never ending mind fuck of time and circle jerk. Like it's just <laughs> that's just what it should be called from yeah. here on out. Yeah. It's just I, I mean, it's again, like it's very we we say there's not a lot of happened. Like this is a very lower key episode compared to what we've already gotten and but the stuff that we there is definitely stuff there but most of it is surface level we don't have to dive too deep yeah as we have in past episodes and you know when you're going into a rewatch of this and you know that you're going to record a podcast on it you know you want to look for the the deeper meanings of of what's happening but i think i think what you're saying is right is that we're getting introduced to the 1974 1977 timeline of the dharma initiative and it's really nice to use sawyer and juliet and miles and daniel um and jen as kind of a a a vehicle for that yes yeah exactly um, and it's so fun seeing jen just speak in english incredibly clearly well especially since until i saw I, i'm ashamed to admit until i saw hawaii 50 and realized that daniel day kim really is an american and he yeah. just did really really well at playing gin i was just i just had no idea that he wasn't somebody who who was a korean who spoke English with like a, a a Korean accent, you know. Yeah, and um, I, it, I, it proves how good Daniel Day Kim is as an actor. He's an amazing believable. actor. Like uh, we talked about this before a couple episodes ago, how he was brought in. Oh, I don't know if this was on the podcast. This might have been in our talks beforehand, but he was originally supposed to become a new cast member on New Amsterdam. Right, and we then, did talk about that last week. And then on the pot, and then when the pandemic happened, they had to re change things and he kind of got written off and then they brought him back for the series finale and i was really excited by that because i love him i loved him in hawaii 50 i was really disappointed when his character left that show uh and then he got picked up in that and i think if i remember correctly i think there was some kind of announcement that he has been cast in something else oh Um, you know he's one of i think ever ever all of these actors off of this show they deserve everything good that comes to them in their careers you know maybe except for jack (laughs) (laughs) i had to bring it back it's been a while (laughs) um okay no he's not in he doesn't have anything cast he's uh he's kind of on hiatus maybe he's taking a break which means it's a prime time to get him on the podcast. Yay! Oh no, 
He does have some. I I thought I saw him um, cast in something. He is in post production right now. He is uh, in all ten episodes of Avatar: The Last Airbender. Oh, okay. Uh, He's a voice is, then, right? Uh, is it? It's animated, animated, from what I. No, it's live action. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's a live action adaptation of the animated series. Oh, oh, okay. So it's brand new then. It, yeah, it hasn't released yet. Got it. Okay. I thought yeah. it was a season for the animated series. No, it's it's a it's a live action, um, which is going to be fun. I'm into seeing that. I'm not familiar with the uh, with the series at all because I don't watch it, but I'll watch it because Daniel Day Kim is in it. Yeah, I love him. <clears throat> but no, you're right. Like anytime we see these actors pop up in other projects, it's always a lot of fun. Um, and a lot of people will say, oh, is he from Lost? Oh, or is, is she from Lost? Because Lost was such a big deal, you know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, for me, anytime I see Evangeline Lilly, I'm always like, oh, it's Kate Austin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I do that too. Or anytime I see Jorge Garcia, I'm like, Hurley! Hurley! Hurley's in it. And and that poor guy, he's always going to be known as Hurley. Well, I think, if I rem- I know we're getting off topic, but I think... I think he's lost a ton of weight, too, because he was another one that got added to the Hawaii Five O cast for a while. Uh, he was a great addition. His character was great. I was the day they gave him a badge. I was I was so I was, happy. I was pumping my fist in the air. I was like, yeah. "Yay, Hurley got a badge!" But I think Jorge Garcia has lost a ton of weight. Um. And I think, uh, yeah, March 24th. Well, this is the latest article I'm seeing. Um, estimates the actor has lost roughly 100 pounds. Which is... That's amazing. That's fantastic. Like, Good I'm so him. happy for him. Now maybe yeah. people can leave him alone. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, it seems like he, he looks... I'm looking at pictures of him. He looks great. Good for him. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Um. But yeah, like when he popped up in like Once Upon a ton of lost actors popped up in Once Upon a Time. I love Once Upon a Time so much. And it's always really fun to see lost actors appearing on Once Upon a Time because it's the same kind of deal. Um, yeah. You no. Know, I mean, lots I, of I've, flashbacks and flash forwards and stuff like that. I felt a little bad for, um, uh, uh, what the hell, um, Naveen Andrews. Because they brought Naveen Andrews into Once Upon a Time, but they brought him into the spinoff where he played, I think, Jafar yeah, mm-hmm. in the Aladdin spinoff, and that didn't go anywhere. So, well, you know, it is what it is. But anyways, a- we, can anyways. Do, we can do a Where Are They Now podcast later. Um, so going back to what you were talking about with Ethan and the baby as, as being the baby. And then um, Daniel saying, whatever happens happened, which I, uh, which I love, you know, whatever happens happened. Yeah. Um, I, I love, first of all, I, I love kind of the whole, they were supposed to be there all along kind of underlying message that you don't really see. But, um, you know, watching Daniel just kind of vacantly walk through uh, the Dharma Initiative's little, you know, housing area, and then he sees Charlotte, which 
I know that we wanted to talk about anyways. Um, you know, I feel like that kind of snapped him back into place, into reality, like almost like he needed that as a compass just for him to like start to reintegrate a little bit more because he was just so broken after Charlotte disappeared. Well, I, well, I mean, and it's even like when he's sitting there and he's kind of talking under his breath when Juliet first approaches him, like he's sitting there saying, like, I'm not going to tell her. I'm I'm not going to tell her when we know what that is. Is because Charlotte says, like, she remembers Daniel saying to her, you know, not to come to the island, mm. which we find out, obviously, she does anyway, because it costs her her life. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he's kind of saying that, like, I'm not going to tell her, I'm not going to tell her, because he kind of feels like he can change things. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Like, the moment he sees Charlotte as a child, he kind of snaps out of it. And we know that he ends up telling her anyway. Because, well, because we whatever see, happened, we see happened. happened. Yeah. yeah. We, we see it happen. Yeah. That was a cute little, that was a cute little girl that they used too. Oh, of course. Uh, she uh, looks over right. at him and she waves and she's all happy. And Daniel's just like, oh, yay, there she is. And she's so happy. <laughs> That's a woman I, I'm going to be in love with, which is kind of creepy. Ew. Right? Yes. Uh, but so keeping on the whole Daniel and Charlotte thing. Mm-hmm. Daniel says something very interesting that kind of contradicts what we said last week in that I was under the impression that when Charlotte died, she stayed behind why they jumped. But that's not what Miles says. That's a uh, Miles. That's not what Daniel says in this mm-hmm. episode. He says they stayed. She moved on. So does that mean that her body is now continuously jumping through time while they're stationary? Or is that just him being confused from grieving? I mean, it could just be him saying she moved on. As in, she she moved on in time while they stayed where they were, maybe? Well, that's what I mean. Like, is, is now, like, whatever Locke did to keep them there, to stop them from jumping, did that not work on Charlotte? Well, and wouldn't. now she's still jumping. Well, I don't think because the island keeps jumping with that's the pendulum I mean, like, and everything. That's what kind of confused me is is because they say that the island is always jumping to keep it off of everybody else's radar. Yes. Right. So it's always jumping different places in the ocean. It's always it's always moving. Right. Yeah, so I I don't know exactly what that means. There's not a monster behind me. If you're watching the video, I swear it's just my cat. Stop. Um, sorry, but it, like it, that's what confused me when he said like she moved on, we stayed. I was like, well, wait a minute. I like I said, I thought we I we I was under the impression that because she died, she no longer was jumping. And then they jumped one more time after she died, which meant she stayed wherever she was. But the way Daniel says it makes me think otherwise. Oh my gosh. My brain hurts thinking about it. I know. So so what you're saying is, is that, okay, let's talk this out for a second. <clears throat> so the island is always moving in order to be invisible to the real world. So while it's knocked off of its axis with the wheel, that means that everybody's moving when the island is moving. 
and not and not just staying on the island in where they're supposed to be. And they just they're moving with the island, so they just kind of don't realize that they're moving with Which it. is why they're so disoriented. But why is it time a factor? Well, maybe that's what knocks it off off of its axis. Is <clears throat> maybe it's so okay, so if you think about the island moving, it's moving on one plane. So it's it's in the timeline. It's just moving to different places around, like literally on the planet. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's moving. I'm with the you here so far. Is moving to different locations on the planet, which is what makes it hard to find. Mm-hmm. Knocking it off its axis added a third degree, meaning it now it's not only moving on the planet, it's also moving in time. <laughs> okay, so then once it's back on its axis, that's just the time that they're going to stay in. But that doesn't mean that all the other times have not happened. Because so when they were talking, so this is what, let's bring this in to it as well. So Juliet and Sawyer are sitting on the docks towards the toward about the middle of the episode and mm-hmm. talking about whether or not uh, Juliet's going to get on the sub or not. And he says, when you go, you're not going to know, like, none of us are even like born yet, or maybe they were born, obviously, because it's 1974. Um, But like, how do you think you're going to make it out there? However, if the island is stuck in a certain time, does that mean that the rest of the world is like, if she were to get on the submarine and leave, would that take her into 2010? No, no, they're, they're stationary in their time now. Like if they left the island in 1974 and moved to the mainland, they're getting to the mainland in 1974. Are you sure? Yes, because Daniel even says it. He says the record's no longer skipping. We're just not on the the song that we want. No, I think that's everywhere. So here, so here's the thing. I think. So how on earth did Jack and Kate and Hurley make it to the island in 1977? Because so, I know this is what's confusing about the whole thing. They, I think what happens is whatever energy is causing, because I mean, one of the other things that's tough to understand too, is that if the island is off its axis and these guys are jumping through time, why is not everybody on the island jumping through time? And it's just these people, right? Because these people have a connection to this island. It's just never fully explained yet. Through the lighthouse, which is right. not explained yet until next season. Right. Right. So the these characters have a deeper connection to this island that nobody else does. The, not the others, not the Dharma Initiative. Nobody else has this connection to this island. Okay, so, whatever so we this- touched on that last week because of the fact that Sun is not in the right time either. Yes. Like Sun is thrown into a different time period. However, Locke and Ben are not. Locke no, and Ben Locke- come to 1977. No, they don't. Locke and Ben never come to 1977. They're in the modern day. They're in the same timeline with Sun and, and um, Lapidus. Oh, okay. All right. Yes, you're right. That's yeah, right. Because they, they left never, in the boat. Yep. They left in the boat to go to the to go to. The we other sound island. incompetent right now. We sound like we shouldn't even be having a podcast <laughs> on this. <laughs> Well, no, it's kind of good that we get this out. So to kind of like go into what you were saying about like, well, how is it that Jack and Kate and all them are there? 
they escaped this this energy by getting off the island. So in order for them to get back to where now Sawyer get back to 1977, which is where they reconnect with them all. The island, it's so fucking confusing, and I apologize. No, no, because I, I don't even feel like I can... I'm totally with you. I'm not. I know. <laughs> Eloise Hawking told them that they had to be flying over this particular point in order to get to the island, because I, I think when they flew over the island at that point, that was where. That also just happened to be where Sawyer, Juliet, no, that wouldn't work. Because they end up in 77 when they, but then when they get back to 74, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It's, it's, I'm confusing myself. Uh, yeah. And, and, and this is probably where we start to lose a lot of viewers uh, in the original show because people couldn't answer these questions. But the weird thing is, like, I feel like I understand it. I just can't explain it. Do do you understand that? And isn't that a metaphor for life? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, I feel like I feel like I I I kind of get it. I I understand what's happening, but I just can't put words to help other people explain. Well, it's kind of like you have to like unhinge your brain and just allow it to kind of all flow through as, as this is the story. Yeah. You know, it's mental vomit. Do you say mental vomit? (laughs) I did. (laughs) I, I call it verbal diarrhea. Well, that works. I like mental, I like mental vomit a lot better. (laughs) Well, verbal diarrhea is when you speak a bunch of nonsense, Mental mental vomit is when you think a lot of nonsense. Aha. So if it's coming out both ends, that means that your kids oh is a big problem. <laughs> yeah. You have you have issues. Uh, but it's it's just so I mean, I I kind of I again, I kind of get it. I just can't find the words to help other people understand it. That's fair. That's fair. <sighs> you know what? I'm in between this episode and the next episode. I'm going to do some research and I'm going to see if we can like find a cohesive and competent way of talking about this, because this is, this is something that's going to keep coming back time after time until the end of the series. Yes. Especially when we get to season six and then everybody's mind is blown. Oh, when, yeah. Flash sideways really kind of throw complete it's like you you think you got it now nope yeah like you do i think that at the end of this season you really say i got it (laughs) and then season six is like that's cute (laughs) that's when that's when uh that's when uh carlton cues and like jj and everybody are like hold my beer right exactly it's it's a first hold my beer moment in television yeah it's just yeah it's just again i kind of i get it but I can't explain it. But there are parts of it that I don't get. It's it's it it's verbal barf, right? It's and I mean, barf. listen, the or mental vomiting, the the people that are still in the running for running. If you're still the, listening, thank you. It, it, the people that are still in the running uh, for you know the lighthouse, uh, they are the ones that disappear from the 
from the plane and they are dropped into 1977. Mm -hmm. So obviously there's some sort of filter that happens, you know, that, you know, drops in the people that are still in the running and leaves everybody else out to crash onto the plane. In namely son basically is she's the only one that's filtered out at this point. Um, Ben is filtered out. I think that that's significant. Was Ben ever really a candidate though? As the current protector of the island, he should have been filtered through. He self-proclaimed, though. He was able to talk to Jacob. Or who he thought was Jacob. Okay. All right. That's fair. And then we've got the man in black that didn't make it either. And you would think that he had a little bit more power. You would think, but I almost think... Hmm. I kind of feel like the man in black and Jacob kind of have to be excluded from this only because I think they're the ones that choose the candidates or maybe Jacob is the one that chooses the candidates and the man in black is the one that's against him. So maybe this is uh, Jacob proving that he still has power over the man in black to keep him out. That's a possibility because he's the one that he, he filters out the man in black so that he can't, kind of affected anymore because think about it the, the the man in black whether it be through christian shepherd or through whatever way he was doing it he kind of has no influence over any of these people anymore because they don't exist in the same plane yeah not an actual plane but a plane like a plane of existence you know so maybe that's well, maybe and if that's- you could drop well, and, and then okay i'll do you one further if you could just drop hurley kate saeed and jack into 1977, why couldn't you drop them into 1974? Well, that's what I mean. Like that's, uh, that was kind of where I was confused a little bit. I I started confusing myself is that when I was going into the whole theory of, well, they had to be over this time because they were probably over the Island while like if, if Sawyer and Juliet, and Miles and Daniel were jumping through time and they happened to jump back to the present day. And then that's when the plane flew over at the same time. So they were all technically together. And then they all jumped together because they had the flash at the same time. But then why you're right. Why would they have not gone to 1974 with them, with Sawyer and Juliet instead of showing up in 1977? And maybe that goes to the whole, story of, you know, you have to have these three years so that Juliet can birth Ian, uh, Ethan and the incident can eventually happen the way that it does. And I mean, so maybe it's just all a part of like the grandmaster plan that you're not really aware of until the end. Or maybe, maybe you hit the nail on the head right there just by using the three years, because think about it. These guys were off the Island for three years, right? The timeline had to adjust. So they were over the same plane at the same time and jumped. But because these guys were three years ahead, Mm -hmm. because they had already lived their life for three years, they kind of had to play catch up by allowing them to live three years first before they could all meet. Okay. So it all stopped jumping in 1974. And that's when 
they all came home anyways. The Oceanus six came home anyways. So now the, it's like the, the timer starts for them all coming back and linking back up together. And it does take three years because three years passes on the mainland. So yes. three years passes on the island. Three however, if you left pa- the island, however, hang on, you okay. if you leave the <laughs> island in 1974, you're still going to 1974. You're not going to present day where the Oceanic Six are living their lives. Yes, yeah. exactly. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. They, they needed, sure. because they were already... Because they had already lived three years of their life, they needed the other people to live three years of theirs before they could meet again. So we couldn't have an Avengers Endgame mentality of, you know, I was there for five hours and now it's five years later. Yes, but you're right. right. If Juliet were to have left the island in 1974, she would arrive in 1974 to the mainland. So, okay. So... Okay. Which means she could have just wrote Star Wars and been rich. So let's let's go with this um Avengers <laughs> metaphor real quick. So okay. technically Sawyer and Juliet and Miles and Daniel and Jin are all in the quantum realm and the Oceanic 6 is in the real world. And so the Oceanic 6 needs to get back to the quantum realm to save the island in present day. Yes. Do you see where I'm going with this? I, no, I see exactly where you're going with it. Because just the same way in, for anybody who's not familiar, the same way it happens, Ant-Man enters the quantum realm before the snap happens. Right. Or he's in the quantum realm when the snap happens. When the snap happens. When the snap happens. When he leaves the quantum realm, it's only been a couple hours for him, but for everybody five else hours. it's been five. But for everybody else it's been five years. Five years. Yes. Okay. All right. That's a good, that's a good analogy. I mean, I'm just trying to like create a metaphor so that my brain doesn't break during this recording. Well, I mean, but that's but that's just it. So, so Paul they, Rudd, Paul Rudd is my compass right now. <laughs> so if they were to if they were all to have jumped to 1974 for Sawyer, Juliet, Jin, Daniel, and Miles. Should we call it them like the Survivors Five or something like that in the Oceanic Six? Like <laughs> there you go. So for the Survivors Five, <laughs> six if you count Charlotte, the Survivor Six and the Oceanic Six. There we go. Okay. So for the Survivor, wow, that's weird that there were six of each of them. I just thought about that. Yeah, but um, one's dead, so don't worry about it. No, it's down to five. Um, well, same thing with the Oceanic oh, Six because yeah. Locke okay. is dead. Ooh. <laughs> no, because Locke was never out. Oceanic Six, but Aaron didn't come along. Oh, that's right. That's okay. There you go. Aaron didn't come along. So if they were all to have jumped back to 1974 mm-hmm. for the survivors five, it would have only been a couple hours or, or to like a day or two, mm-hmm. like we'll say three days, but it, it would have been three years to the oceanic six. Right. So that's why they arrive in 1977 and 1974 is because they needed to match. It okay, had so to be three matches. years for each of them. Okay, yes. so time matches, but it's different time. Yes. It's ages. <laughs> so time in the sense of the lapse of time in their life had to equal had to equate. 
Okay. If, if, yeah. So, okay. No, I got it. I'm, yeah. yeah. It's less confusing now. So, thank you, Avengers, <laughs> for helping us <laughs> come to this conclusion. Who would have thought Marvel would have helped us understand? Marvel helps me every day. So, get your head right. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I just go on Instagram and I look for Chris Evans doing reels as Captain America just to feel better about the world. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still on the get your head right. <laughs> have you um this is off the topic, but did you I'm sure you have if you look for these reels, but did you ever see the 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 short reel where Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. talk about taking the last cookie? Yes. With and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen, Olsen in the background. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Of course I have. That's that's on heavy rotation. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen Chris Evans play with puppies? It's great. Oh it's yes, great. I've seen that too. I've seen that too. <laughs> um, all right. So I yeah, I've already crossed off calling Miles Enos. We talked about Horace. He was the one that delivers Ben. So looking at that timeline too, I just had to reevaluate um or re make sure. Readjust. Uh, yeah. Readjust and make sure. So yes, it was uh, Roger Linus and his eight-year-old son, son Ben, come to the uh, come to the island in 1973. So it is the year before the Sawyer and Juliet and all them appear. The Survivors Five appear in 1974. So at that point, Ben and Roger are already on the island, and he's eight and years probably old. Probably no, and probably no Lafleur and Juliet. Yeah, I and I thought about that too, and I think that does get explained a little bit later on in the season when we do get to the Ben and Saeed stuff, right. is whether or not they knew that that was the Ben that they know. Especially since Ben is wildly and inappropriately in love with Juliet later in life. Yes, yes. Yeah, I do like it when Juliet is like really quiet and they're like, why are you so quiet? And she's like, that's my house over there. I lived here for three years. <laughs> there <Yeah>. it is. <laughs> well, and, well, and what I loved about that, too, is like, even though they're technically not prisoner, when Sawyer walk, wakes up after walking through the sonic fence, after Amy mm-hmm. kind of tricked them through the sonic fence, like when he wakes up, he wakes up in the rec room, which is where he's been held prisoner before. Where a lot of them o- have been where held Kate was prisoner been held, before. Yeah. yeah. So it, he, they're waking up in an area they're already familiar with. Well, what's funny, too, is that the Dharma Initiative, when they're talking to this group, they think that they have, like, all the information and a one-up on them. But really, like, it's reversed. Yeah. You know? Oh, the scene. So the scene where Sawyer is talking to Horace and he's giving them their backstory, how, like, mm-hmm. he's like he was the captain of the ship. They were on a salvage vessel. They were looking for the Black Rock. They were looking for Horace's ship. Not horse. They were looking ship. for somebody's ship. They were looking for the Black Rock. Right. But, the, but, okay. I looked this up because it seems that the Black Rock was a ship that somebody was on. I thought it was Horace. No, the Black Rock is the ship where they get the dynamite. Right. Yeah. Which was on that island well before Horace was even there. Yeah, but there was something. Because remember, that's an old English vessel. That's not right. That's like no, a pirate I know, ship. I know what you're talking about, but I'm trying to. I find it because I read it, and I was like, "Really?" And so I, now I can't find it. Of course, I don't. I don't think there was anybody we know that was on that ship. 
Because that shit predates everybody we've met. Ah, Sawyer claims he and his friends were scientists looking for the wreck of the Black Rock. Unbeknownst to Sawyer, the man he negotiates with was a passenger on the Black Rock. Oh, Richard Alpert. That's right, Richard. Yeah. Yeah, but he never mentions the Black Rock to Richard. No, he but, mentions it to Horace. Right. But that's, I think, like kind of the irony of the whole situation, anyways, yeah. is that his cover story is relates to Richard's ship that he yes. came to the island on. Okay. Which I just had to find it, read it, and clarify, or that was going to bother me. Okay. No, but you're right. And I, I was mistaken when I said nobody we know has been on that ship. And you're right. Richard Alpert was on that ship. Have we seen, I don't think we've seen that yet, though. No. Yeah, we haven't. We haven't seen that yet. So as a, as a viewer, we we don't know that that's the ship that he's on. But it, it makes you wonder because like Sawyer bringing up the Black Rock, Horace has to know that ship is on the is on the island somewhere. Right. So that so kind like, of how it, do you it, know about the Black Rock? How do well, you know about the Black Rock? <laughs> it sells validity to Sawyer's story. Right. Right. Which Sawyer knows that he's not dumb, as we have stated. Yeah. Yes. But that scene in particular, when he's negotiating, saying like they were on a salvage ship, they were looking for that the ship, the, the Black Rock. Right. That scene is my second favorite scene in this episode, only behind him and Richard Alpert. Oh, see, for me, it's when Juliet successfully delivers a child. That scene is also amazing because there's I, pure joy on Sawyer's face. You, but you also know what the like the gravity of what that means because of everything she's tried to do for women on that Island for years. And she's finally able to do it in 1977. Yeah. Which makes you wonder because they even say like, well, Sawyer even says that the Juliet to convince her to do the C-section is, well, what if whatever it is that causes this to happen hasn't happened yet? That's true. So what is that thing that happens? Is it the incident? That's what I'm thinking. Right. Is that there's something of there's something because of the incident. Right. Which we get to at the end of the season is what causes this reaction so that women can no longer give birth on the island. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your favorite scene. Let's talk about um what your your favorite scene is Richard and Sawyer. Sawyer right? and Richard. Yeah, let's yes. talk about that scene because that's a great scene. It is a fantastic scene, and I love the fact it, this kind of dives even deeper into what you were saying about like how smart Sawyer is. Mm -hmm. Like he's, he's a con man. He thinks on his feet. He's very quick about it. He can come up, you know, like the whole time, like he's probably developing this backstory as he's talking. Yeah. He's bringing up the black rock. He's bringing up the salvage yard, how they, they on their way to Tahiti because that's, he knows Tahiti is relatively close because that's where they ended up after they got up. Well, actually, no, He's not one of the Oceanic Six, so he wouldn't know. He, no, but he would have he's to using know what he's learned. He's using yes. what he's learned on the island so far. And so he's he's a great con man because he uses nuggets of truth to weave together his story to make it believable. Because he's smart and he and he's and he's a good observer. So but he's a I, oh no! And I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I love about Sawyer in this mm -hmm. scene is that you're right. He uses nuggets of truth to make up a lie, but in this instance with Richard, he's using those nuggets of truth to tell the truth. He chose truth. 
He chose truth over conning. Because, because he knows that Richard will believe it. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the reasons why I loved this scene as much as I did. Because this is Sawyer being legit truthful for probably one of the first times we've seen. Yeah. Well, he can be. Because he's, yeah. he's talking to a guy that he knows personally hasn't aged in decades. And is heavy on eyeliner. Guy, yeah, he's like, oh, talk to the guy with the eyeliner out there. <laughs> I love that he brings that up because that's always been a running joke about the character. Right. And the fact that he goes meta and he actually, he actually brings that up. <laughs> that's total fan service and I don't care. Yeah, I don't care either. <laughs> it's, it's the best kind of fan service ever. <laughs> it's fantastic. But that whole scene, like when he's like, did when he just throws it out there, he's like, did you bury the bomb? And and that catches him off guard, which means that Sawyer is now in the leadership he's in control. seat. Yeah, he's in yep. control. And that's that's Sawyer right there. He knows that if he can he can gain control of the situation, the conversation, whatever it may be, then he's going to continue to have the upper hand at all mm-hmm. times. That's Sawyer. Yeah. Gosh, I love Sawyer. He's incredibly smart. And not only does it buy them trust with Horace and the Dharma initiative, it buys them time. Two weeks that eventually turns into three years. And well, that's the other irony that the great irony is where Horace says in 1974 to Sawyer, you're not Dharma material. And three years later, he's head of security. He's head of security for Dharma. Yeah, exactly. Not only is he head of security, but, but Jin is security. Miles is secure. They're all security. Right. Because they happen to, because they weirdly know the ins and outs of this Island that they just happened upon. Yeah. And it's just, it's, but I mean, I also, I also kind, I find it very charming is not the proper word, but endearing maybe that it's been three years and he has still not given up hope that he can find the others. Right. Like he's got Jin out there searching all these grids. And when Jin comes back and says, like, we searched this grid, like, like 413 or whatever it is, whatever it is. And he's like, all right, move on to 414. It's like, right. it's three years and he just has not given up hope. And mm-hmm. we kind which of realize. Go ahead. Which is a huge difference from season one Sawyer. Oh, who's been, he was nothing more for, but, but him, for himself. Right. Yeah. But what I, what I love about it too, is that we kind of discover a little bit later on in the episode when he's talking to Horace uh, about when he tells Horace, Horace wakes up and he tells him like, you're a daddy, but you missed it. And they go over about the fight, about what caused the fight. And he's wondering if Amy is ever over Paul and Sawyer tells that story about how yeah. like he can't even remember what Kate's face looks like. That to me made the whole fact that he's still searching after three years more endearing because he's not doing it for Kate. He's doing it because he legitimately wants to find everyone. He wants to find his friends. He wants to find everyone, not just Kate. Whereas Kate, her main objective to come back is for Sawyer. Oh, no, it's for Claire. Sorry, it's for Claire. Yeah, it's for Claire. I was going to stop you right there. Although she thinks that she's, she's coming back to a lovesick Sawyer and that's going to make everything better. You can see that in her face at the end. And, 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 and I'm glad that I don't fully remember this, but I'm pretty sure that Sawyer, while he looks conflicted, he is deeply and madly in love with Juliet. That's not going to change. Nope. Right. No, this is, this is, 
it, it's been the seeds have been planted over the course of the first seven episodes of this season mm-hmm. for what Sawyer and Juliet, the end of this episode is the bloom. Mm-hmm. And it stays like the flower, it, like the flower, like, oh, that's a good point. But it one of the best things about this is that even with Kate's return, that never diminishes. Like mm-hmm. his relationship with Juliet is stronger than anything he ever had with Kate. Right. Anything he ever had with anybody. He spent what? A hundred days on the Island with Kate. He's, he has spent three years with Juliet. With Juliet. Yep. I mean, and even before that, there was something there like that, ju- like them jumping all of that time and being stranded together before they were finally locked down in 1974 mm-hmm. there was already a connection building between the two of them yeah because and they Juliet had each other's was, backs that was just what i was gonna say Ju- sorry i'm Sawyer, sorry i'm jumping no, no. all over you today i'm so it's, sorry no it's totally fine um he knew that juliet had his back yes and that was enough for him for there to be a connection that's all he ever wanted that's yeah. all he ever wanted in life well because kate was never that for him no, Kate. He, Kate used him as second choice the whole yep. time. Yeah, and and she's going, and she's even when she looks at him, it's a second choice look because she spent her time with Jack and it blew up in her face, and now she's like, oh, maybe I'll get a second chance with Sawyer. No, you won't. Nope, you won't. Exactly. You won't even a little bit. I love too in that scene where they're rescuing Amy and they shoot the the two others after Paul's already been killed and Amy's got the bag over her head. Um, when Sawyer says to Juliet, like, you don't know these people. And she's like, no, before my time. Uh, yeah, because you shot them. <laughs> That's why they're before your time. You won't ever get to meet them because you killed them before you ever had the chance. <laughs> before future you ever has the chance to meet them because you killed them. Yeah. It's this, uh, 30 years before, buddy. (laughs) It's the damn compass. It's the circle. You've never met them because you killed them before you ever had the chance. But I don't think they know what year they're in at that point. No, they don't. Right. So it's kind of establishing where they are. She says before my time, which means, okay, we're in the past. Yeah. it's Well, because it's not until they see the Dharma jumpsuit on Paul. Right. They kind of realize we're, we're not in our time. Right. And then that's when she says, like, no, it's in the past. Or it I I before my time. Yeah. Yeah. But, and it's weird to me that um and and I'm jumping around because it just made me think of like of the when island. They, when they yeah, when they jumped <laughs> in time one more time after uh Charlotte had died. So Charlotte dies, then they jump in time one more time. And do they jump again? It, uh, where Charlotte died before it stops. So my impression is that, so they're, they're lowering lock down. They jump at least two times. No. So this is what I'm asking. So, okay. They, they jump in time at the orchid station and they see the big statue at the orchid station or do they yes. see the big statue where Charlotte died? No, they see the big statue along the beach. They can look up and see the statue because the statue is fully there. Okay. It's no longer just a foot. So when they find Miles, or when they find Daniel, Daniel is, uh, the time period that they're in is still the prehistoric time? No. 
Because remember, after they lower lockdown, they jump one more. They jump again because that's when Sawyer is holding the rope that is literally just in the ground because the ground right. is filled in. The well is no longer there. They jump one more time after that because Sawyer jumps into because the well has reappeared and they jump into the well, but the well is filled in. <laughs> that was such a funny moment. He jumps in like he's going to go for it and he doesn't yeah, go like anywhere. He's going to just jump down and like, rescue <laughs> it and it goes nowhere. So they have jumped twice since lowering lock into the ground. And it's when that jump, when the well reappears, mm-hmm. that's when it stops. And then because, they go find. And then they go find Daniel. Daniel. Okay. So what time period were they in when Charlotte died? Do we know? It has to have been. I ask because I'm wondering why Miles didn't feel Charlotte's death there. Well, because the death didn't happen at the orchid. They go and find Daniel. That's what I'm saying. But he was always able to walk over like graves and know what happened to people. Well, I don't know. That's a good point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's a good point. Because, well, what makes it confusing as to trying to determine where where it happens in the timeline is because the well is there. And then the well is there again, two jumps later, once it's not filled and then the other time it isn't is. So now we know that the time it's filled in is 1974. So the question is, did somebody dig out the well later after 1974? And then that's the time they were in, or was the well filled in? Mm. That's what kind of makes it confusing because if the well is dug out, my impression is that the well was probably filled in. Well, no, because the well was operational or it was a, a well because um, Ben was able to go down it. Yes, but when Sawyer jumps into it later, two jumps later, it's filled in. Right. So the question is, no, ben, was the not well- Locke, Ben. Ben went down the well and and unhinged the wheel and then Locke went down the well. And- ben did not go down the well. Ben Where, went through oh, Ben went through the orchid. That's right. That's right. Okay. And was there a well? I, I don't think it's even seen. Yeah, okay. Ben went through the orchid. Ben did not go through the well. It's like that damn compass. <laughs> so it it's kind of hard to determine where they were at in the time and on the timeline when Locke goes down because it's a question of, well, did somebody fill that well in or did somebody dig that well out? Mm-hmm. If somebody dug the well out, then it was post-1974 that, that okay. John Locke went down. If they filled it in, then it was pre-1974. Okay. So, but that's never explained. That's never right. revealed. So right. we don't really know. But then again, to, to your point about Miles being able to sense that stuff, that kind of gives accreditation to what Daniel said about how Charlotte moved on. Miles might not be able to feel it because Char- Charlotte's body was never left behind. Yeah, and Miles could could have kind of corroborated that and just said, yeah, I don't, I don't feel her at all. Cause at this point they all know his superpower. Yeah. So I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Um, trying to see, let's see. I'm, I'm, if I'm looking through my notes, do you have anything? I mean, I do. I have a couple of things. So, um, one of them is that I thought it was nice that, um, 
you know, we're, we're talking about kind of the similarities between the Oceanic Six and the Survivor Six. And both, both of these groups lit, have lived a three year lie to protect themselves and each other. Yeah. Which I find really interesting. Um, so there is the statue, which is an Egyptian statue. Um, and it is, which God is it? It's a giant statue, but is the, it Anubis? Maybe it's, it's an Egyptian statue. And, um, I, I wanted to say it in regards to the Ankh that, mm-hmm. um, that what's his name? Was it Joe? Paul, Paul, that Paul was wearing that, um, that eventually Horus found. And, um, Anyways, the Ankh, so the Egyptian hieroglyph is a symbol of eternal life and fertility. Egyptian gods are often portrayed carrying it by its loop or bearing one in each hand, arms crossed over their chest. The giant statue appears to be holding one in each hand, but its arms are by its side, not crossed over its chest. Paul's necklace was an Ankh, which Amy takes from him after he dies. Amy later successfully gives birth on the island. Now, does that have anything to do with the Ankh that she was carrying? Does it have to do with, you know, the the whole, um, you know, fertility and um, well, she and wasn't life. She wasn't carrying the talisman, Ankh, but, she, but she did have it in her technical possession because Horace says he found it in a sock drawer. Right, but it's in her possession. I mean, it's, in it's her something possession. that she yeah. has had, right? And considering uh, the considering Juliet's entire reason for being there is to help with why life cannot be born onto this island, why fertility is a problem on this island. The statue is gone at that point when Juliet gets there, so maybe it has something to do with. You know, and and again, it could go back to the incident, right? Um, but seeing as the island used to hold up this Egyptian god as you know the symbol of life and fertility, maybe it used to be a really fertile area, and maybe the problem is, is that it no longer is for whatever reason. But Amy was able to give birth, and Paul had that ankh which she took for herself, which then she ultimately gives birth. I mean, they even said in the episode, she was scheduled to go back to the mainland to give birth, Mm -hmm. but she was able to still give birth on the island, which looks to be in 1977, still an anomaly. Yeah. Cause I I thought about that too. Like when he said like she was scheduled, I think in two weeks to go back to the mainland to, to give birth. It, it makes me wonder, you're right, like, why did they have her scheduled to go to the mainland? Just because, one, medical facilities were better? Or was it because there was something that was happening that prevented people from giving birth on the island? And that doctor that was delivering babies had no idea how to do a C-section. I mean, the baby was breech, and he was just like, she's going to die, the baby's going to die, there's nothing I can do about it. So yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't until Juliet showed up that she knew what she was doing, that she could actually save both the baby and the mom. Yeah. So I don't know, and maybe, and maybe that one instance that Juliet was able to perform is why Juliet came to the island later, because maybe they were like, we know that it's happened before and we can't understand why it's not happening now. It's, it's interesting that you bring up that statue and that possibly being the reason why this is happening is because the fertility of the island has gone away, maybe along with the statue, mm-hmm. because we have seen that statue already. 
Right. Um, well, we've seen the foot. The foot, Of right. the statue. Uh, we haven't seen the statue at whole. Uh, and Until it's not we the- saw the backside of it this episode. And it's not the last time we're going to see that statue. No, no, no. It's going to come into play, which I'm interested to see because I forget. Of course, I forget. Um, But I'm interested to see how that plays into the rest of the story as far as life and fertility goes on the island. Well, and also because of the fact that that is the foot still exists in the present day. Mm -hmm. And we find out a little bit later on that is where a certain somebody is. Right. Right. They are in the foot of that statue. So it'll be, it'll be, I, you know, for anybody that's listening to us week by week, like put a pin in that in your brain and we can all come back to it later. Yeah. I, I, I'm curious to see. Yeah. Cause again, there's a lot of stuff that I forget. Right. Um, right. Which I like. Um, me too. Yeah. I, I like that we're at a point in the show that it's, it's fun to rediscover these things. So, but that also brings me to another point too, in that when they maintain the truce and Richard tells Sawyer like, well, we, I still need something to present to my people. Why take the body of somebody who's dead? Maybe that's where Paul was supposed to go. But I have to tell you, if I were in that position and my husband was laying there dead, being shot by these two, these two people, and they were telling me that in order to keep the peace that his body had to go with them. I I would, I would rather watch the whole place burn down than give over my husband's body. I I, I don't know that I could do it. Oh, I completely understand that too. Like I, I completely get that. It was kind of weird to me that Amy was so willing to go, to go with it. But if you've been living under that kind of circumstance for a while, maybe it just becomes easier to understand. (sighs) And and that's a, uh, a circumstance that I don't ever want. I'm I'm just remembering something that I totally forgot about in pertaining to the Black Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happens this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the season finale of this season of the incident, uh, the part one, that is the first time we meet Jacob. Because that, okay. is this, that is the scene with Jacob and the man in black playing chess on the beach. Whenever I see that actor in anything anymore, I, he's yeah. Jacob. He's Jacob. I'm like, oh, Jacob's in it from Lost. Jacob. <laughs> well, I rem- I remember while they're sitting on the beach playing chess, and they have that whole conversation. When they look out into the water, the Black Rock is in the water. Mm. The Black Rock is approaching the island. Oh, I so. can't. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for this season for sure, especially since I don't remember it as as clearly. Um, but I'm just going to stay with this Egyptian yeah, statue for one more thing. Um, so the Grateful Dead, which is a band that I personally love, 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 uh, is very alluded to in this, um, in this episode. So I'm going to read a little thing. Um, so Phil and Jerry, brownie-eating 1970s hippies, seems to be referenced to Phil Lesh and Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead. Rosie may be a reference to the re- reoccurring symbol of roses in Grateful Dead songs and art. In the Grateful Dead, Ramble on Rose, the, protag- the protagonist's name is Rose. The name of the band Grateful Dead has been attributed to this quote from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. We now return our souls to the Creator as we stand on the edge of eternal dark let our chant fill the void in order that others may know. In the land of the night, the ship of the sun is drawn by the Grateful Dead. 
Okay. So I think that there's a lot of kind of foreshadowing in that. If they're going to use kind of the Grateful Dead and the Egyptian gods and the Egyptian Ankh and the foot where Jacob is eventually going to be in. So we are returning our souls to the creator who could be said it's Jacob um, for this island. As we stand on the edge of eternal darkness, which could be the edge of the man in black, let our chant fill the void in that order that others may know. In the chant of the night, the ship of the sun, which could be the people that are coming to the island, is drawn by the Grateful Dead, who eventually end up being these the people in the church at the end of the show that are very happy and whatnot. And settled in their afterlife. And, and moving on, yes. Right, correct. So I just thought I came across that and I thought that that was, if it's, if it is in fact kind of like a connection that the, that the showrunners are making, that the writers are making, um, in, because there are some, you know, the Geronimo Jackson has a lot of Grateful Dead hippie stuff mm-hmm. to, um, to the art and the, and, you know, it's the 1970s. There's a lot of tie-dye. There's a lot of free love, free peace um, elements to it. You know, having all of this set in the 70s to kind of go with that um, Grateful Dead mentality, that hippie mentality, that one love mentality, and then tying in the Egyptian gods, especially as we get into the storyline of the temple. I just find that to be kind of cool if that's just kind of like a nugget of what they're coming from. Yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting for sure, especially being able to relate a Grateful Dead song to to what's happening in the series, and it also kind of makes me wonder too, like if that's the reason why, because at this point, Richard Albert is it's not distinguished yet, it's not determined yet in the series, but like they are, while they are reference to as hostile indigenous people mm-hmm. they are legitimately the protectors of this island they are uh-huh. working for jacob to protect this island and they see the dharma initiative as the outsiders that are coming they're in. the hostiles they're the hostiles exactly Correct. so it's kind of cool to look at this interesting dynamic that dharma believes they're doing good but the hostile they think the the others are the hostiles which Makes me laugh that like they call them indigenous people, but Richard Alpert shows up wearing like this silk purple shirt and black slacks. Like he looks damn good for an indigenous person. His hair's all cut. Yeah, he's got yeah. eyeliner on. Eyeliner. <laughs> I, I mean, like that's indigenous. All right. Um, but he's also had a lot of time to build up that wardrobe. It's <laughs> So, uh, like, I I love seeing, and that it's dynamic. a more modern wardrobe than it is a '70s wardrobe. Yeah. He looks modern. He looks like he jumped back in time with the others, Correct. or with the Survivalist Five. Because if Whatever. he was set in that time, he would have had longer hair. He would have had a more those laid pants back. would have been bell bottoms. Well, he would have had at least an untucked shirt. Yeah, he's got a timeless look. It's it's kind of weird, but it, I like seeing that dynamic in that, like, these guys are considered hostile indigenous people, but they're legitimately the protectors of this island. They were mm-hmm. there first. They're working for Jacob, who we know is on the side of good. And then 
they see the others as the hostile people who came in and are taking over, even though I don't really think there was any malice or hostile intentions when they came to this island. They mm-hmm. legit just came to study it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's interesting how that dynamic exists, but there's really no need for that dynamic. These are two groups that could that could coexist with each other when that's without a it, truce. But that's also kind of the underlying basis of Jacob and the man in black. They could coexist together. They could get along together, but they choose to war against each other. And they're using the people of the island to play at their war. Yeah. Which is also, you know, as somebody who has recently read all the Percy Jackson novels, that's what the ancient gods did. They played at war by using the mortals of, Mm -hmm. of the world to to war for them. Well, I mean, and in all fairness to the war between the man in black and, and Jacob is, and we'll find this out later as we get to there again, spoilers, but that's more of a, well, mommy loved you best kind of. Yeah. It always goes back behind to the mom. That I get it. Yeah. Mom is mom is the reason that everything bad and good happens. That, that war, the war between the two of them kind of comes because the man in black looks at Jacob and says, well, mommy loved you best. Like that's right. And that's, and that's that kind is. of a, uh, a Jacob and Esau, uh, story from the Bible that it, that's where, um, that's where a lot of theolo- theologians, theologists, whatever say mm-hmm. that that's where, um, you know, Christianity split off into, uh, uh, the Muslim religion. Okay. So, and again, if I'm saying that wrong, please don't come at me about it, listeners, because <laughs> I don't know much about it. It's just stuff that I have lightly read, and I and if I'm wrong, I am totally fine with it. <laughs> I I just want to say to all the listeners at this point that if you are still listening after all of our mental vomit from earlier, verbal <laughs> uh, diarrhea. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. And uh, thank you for sticking with us. Because All 12 can, of you that are listening we, to us. Thank you. We confused you. ourselves earlier on. Oh, no, our <laughs> numbers are going back up and I love it. Oh, thank God. So people are still <laughs> people are coming back and I'm, I'm so thrilled with that. Um, I only have one more note. I don't know what else you have. No, that episode. was it. I that was that that was it. I, I had that saved though. That was my top note was because I love the Grateful Dead so much. So anytime the Grateful Dead is mentioned in anything, I get really excited. <laughs> <laughs> I only have one more note. It's very quick, and I'm sure you'll get a kick out of it too. One of my favorite things in this episode was after right before Sawyer gets the phone call about like the uh, about discovering the others. Uh, we see Juliet and Sawyer in bed together, and Sawyer is the little spoon. I know, but they're so cute. I know. It's just, this is we we've talked about this in the past, and it's other with the fact with other than the fact of Jin and Sun, who are a beautiful but heartbreakingly tragic love story. So are Juliet and Sawyer. I know, but they are one of my favorite relationships on the show. Oh, uh, in in a in over the span of most television period. Juliet and Sawyer are are up there for me. I love I love Juliet and Sawyer. I love Jin and Son. There's some really really epic love stories in this series. Well, they are one of my tops. Um but I do have a current new favorite. I know who it is, but let's for people <laughs> that haven't watched, we'll just leave that be. <laughs> well, it's 
it's going to be my recommendation for the week since it's my week, but we'll, okay. I won't go into spoiler details for it. That's okay. I, It'll be my recommendation too. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. I don't care that it's not my week, but I'll let you talk, of course. That's, but yeah. That's fine. Of um, course. Cool. So yeah. So that wraps it up then for uh, episode eight. Episode nine is Namaste. 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 Yes. Uh, season five, episode nine, Namaste is the episode we're going to be talking about on the next episode of this, uh, this podcast. But as always, we encourage you to go to the website, revisitedpod.com. That's where you can find links to all the social media, where to subscribe, uh, how to leave us feedback, whether it be email form or in voicemail form. And on that note, of course, of course, we have a, we have a voicemail from our buddy, Steve. Yay. Which I assume is more live steving. And I'm totally fine with it. Yep. So uh I look forward to it. I do too. It it doesn't feel like a complete episode if we don't get it. Yeah, right. Yeah. He, he actually he messaged me the other day. He's like, Hey, have you guys recorded yet? Uh, life's been kind of hectic. I'm like, you are good. You got time. Right. Um and for those of you that are listening, uh Kristen and I usually record on Thursday mornings. So, and the episodes always drop on Monday. So that always gives you like three to four days to send us in feedback for the next episode or for whatever. And even if you're late, we'll still play it or read it. Yep. Any episode. Yep. Doesn't matter. Uh, But let's get to the recipe. Ooh, I'm, I'm, especially if it's an air fryer cheesecake recipe, I'm dying. Give me a non-dairy, gluten-free cheesecake recipe, please. Um, I will take that non-dairy gluten-free cheesecake and i will throw it in the garbage <laughs> throw it in the mail for me because i'd love it <laughs> well i could i could just put it in a box and send it to you because god knows it's it's going to stay good because there's nothing good in it to go bad oh shut up just play steve's voicemail <laughs> <All> right, here's-, <laughs> here's our voicemail from steve Hello, Ben and Kristen. This is Steve, and this is going to be for uh, Lost Season 5, Episode 8, La Fleur. <laughs> One of my favorite lines of the show. Uh, I think you can let go of that now. Oh, Juliet, ever the Sawyer Whisperer. Oh, is that the statue that they saw that had the five toes? But they only Four. saw the foot, right? So the well hasn't been dug yet, or it's not? I don't understand. Okay, three years later for Sawyer, Juliet... Jen and what's oh I can't remember the guy's name who is this actor playing Phil I know I know him from something oh, I forgot she was in this that's Jack Bauer's wife from 24 and Amy I don't remember the actress's name though okay now they're going to show us how this all got set up three years earlier Miles Juliet just said his name Miles <laughs> and here the joy the Sawyer joyer <laughs> the Juliet Sawyer relationship is starting he says you got my back she says absolutely Oh, no, she wasn't Jack's wife. She was just another CTU person. Are they going to bury him? Do they have shovels or anything? I guess we're just supposed to yada yada that they were able to bury these bodies. I forgot. Is this how this episode goes <laughs> three years earlier, three years later, throughout the whole episode? I'm getting emotional. Juliet got to deliver a live baby. Oh, Sawyer's showing off his con man skills, throwing the black rock in there. Okay, I have a theory. My theory is this. I think the island is constantly moving, but only when someone spins the wheel does it dislodge and time go all wonky? And then somebody's got to redo the wheel to make time not go wonky. But the island is constantly moving. Oh, and Daniel sees little, uh, oh, uh, Catherine, not Catherine. What was her name? Charlotte. Charlotte, that's who it was. So Horace gives him two weeks and he ends up getting three years. 
Juliet, you know you're going to fall for that smile all the time. Oh, this Juliet Sawyer love story just chokes me up every time. and Because I know where it's going to go. Oh, the island just created another love triangle. The return of Kate. Talk to you later. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Um, we now have our couple name, Joyer. Joyer. <laughs> I like it. I like it when he goes, oh. <laughs> and I love that he called Juliet the Sawyer Whisperer. Yeah. Which she is. Yeah, she kind of is. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, she, Steve. They balance each other out. They really do. And I know, like mm-hmm. Steve said, like, oh, the love triangle. And I'm like, no, I don't really nope. think it ever gets to that. Nope. Sawyer really has no, he, Sawyer has no, has eyes for nobody other than Juliet at this point. Like, so Kate has no influence over Sawyer any longer. Kate has no chance. Nope. And I love that Steve was kind of on the right track that of what we were talking about, about like the Kyland is constantly moving, but the wheel knocks it out of time, not just out of the wheel on the plate. Sky keep on turning. But as I mentioned, um, thank you again, Steve, for your, your awesome emails. We love them every week. And yes. Um, anybody else, we encourage you to leave feedback as well. We'll always read it or play it on the podcast. Revisitedpod.com is where you can go to, uh, to do that. Uh, recommendation for this week before we get out of here. You and I spent a good amount of time talking about this. I was lucky enough to be on the podcast, the, uh, the cast of us, to talk about this episode. And I kind of feel like that even if you don't watch the show or you've never played the game, this episode can kind of stand on its own for what it is. Mm-hmm. And my recommendation for this week is usually we recommend like a whole series. I'm recommending an episode, mm-hmm. episode three of The Last of Us on HBO. It is long, long time, long, long time. Um, it is quite honestly. I posted this on Facebook. I mentioned this on the podcast. I honestly think it is one of the best. It is one of the most beautiful and emotionally charged episodes of television I have seen in a very long time. It is a perfect episode of television it's there are very few episodes that are perfect i it it for me it's up there with no sanctuary by the walking dead i think no sanctuary season five episode one of the walking dead is used to be the single most perfect episode of television i've ever seen again you can watch that as a standalone as well i think and this is another one of them two totally different episodes too by the way but i'm just talking about a perfect episode of television a perfect hour there's i mean this is up there it's an hour and 15 minutes long but the meat of the episode is about 45 minutes to 45 to 50 minutes of the episode and that is what we're kind of relating to is mm-hmm. it's 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 something that you can literally remove from this episode and put it on its own mm-hmm. and it is just as beautiful it's just as emotionally charged nick offerman not only deserves an emmy nomination he deserves the fucking win for yeah. this episode alone so good i honestly Amazing. I honestly do think he's never been nominated before. I think he's going to get his first nomination. I think he might even get his first win from this. Murray Bartlett is also fantastic, but Nick Offerman's performance is just, it's a whole nother level. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, he's doing a small tour. Uh, I I already have tickets. 
I was going to buy us tickets. Do you want to go? I do. Are you going to come up for it? I might. What, well, if, what? You bu- if you buy us tickets, I'll sell my ticket. Well, where did you get tickets? Through Let's the- talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, because I'm actually going to try and get him on the pod on my Wilhelm podcast to promote the show. I think you got to wait. Uh, yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's he's a hot commodity right now, so yeah. probably not going to happen. Doesn't hurt to try. Right, right. So, I mean, everybody loves Ron Swanson. This is a completely new arena for Nick, and and at the same time, still kind of Swansony. There's there's elements of Swanson in there. Yeah. He but, is the manliest man that ever did man. <laughs> That's no funny. <laughs> um, oh, you know what? And just for the sake of it, too, just because I'm I'm on a, a, a Nick Offerman kick. Um, his his comedy special, American Ham, is fantastic. And he's in another movie where he kind of it's it's another dramatic role for him, but it's a dramedy. So there's a lot of comedic elements to it too. Uh, it's it's a movie called Hearts Beat Loud. Mm-hmm. I made I made mention of this on the the last the cast of us too, but um, it's with him and uh, Kiersey Clemens, where he plays a dad of a daughter who is like incredibly musically talented, and we get to see his uh, Nick's musical chops in that as well. He's and, he's an incredibly talented. Yeah, and person. he has a really fun Instagram account. His Instagram account is funny and. Um, if you've never read the greatest story, the greatest love story ever told, um, or listened to the audiobook, it's him and Megan Mullally's book together. It's fantastic. I love those two. It's it's so good. Their entire uh, quarantine pandemic time on Instagram was them just being goofy and making puzzles together. Did you? They did a podcast together during the pandemic. Yeah, I got to listen to that. And it was it was the two of them. And or no, I think it ended when the pandemic happened. It was before the pandemic. <clears throat> yeah, it would have had to have been before the pandemic because it was them. It was the two of them together with their guest in their bed. <laughs> <laughs> I think I what? Hold on. I've got to look up the name of it because it's going to bug me if I don't. Um, uh, Nick Offerman. Because it had a very oh yeah, it's called In Bed with Nick and uh, Nick and Megan. Okay, uh, it's it's forty three episodes. Oh no, it it had to have been during the pandemic because it's September fourteenth. It couldn't have. Oh no, you know what? I think their guests were on Zoom while they were in bed. That's okay. That's that's okay too. I think that's what it was because it started November eleventh, two thousand nineteen, and then the last episode was on September fourth, twenty twenty. I did our first uh, our first video recording podcast of this of this podcast in bed while sick. <laughs> yes, you did. But I mean, like I'm looking at like the guests are like Bill Hader, Jenna Fisher, Will Forte, Lisa Kudrow, um, Vanessa Bayer, Nick Kroll, Andy Richter, Jack Black. They have a lot of great guests. Ted Danson and uh, Mary Steenburgen. It's it's great. There's 43 episodes. They never did a second season, which is kind of a shame. Um, so you don't have to worry about them still putting out new episodes as you're getting caught up. But it's a fun listen because the two of them together are just fantastic. Awesome. So uh, any final notes for this before? No, I'm good. Um, 
Cool. So yeah, uh, definitely check out The Cast of Us if you're watching The Last of Us on HBO. Uh, a lot of great new podcasts coming from Podcastica. Podcastica.com, by the way, which this is a part of, uh, this podcast is a part of that network, as well as being a spinoff of my Wilhelm podcast. But um, uh, they're doing a, po- a podcast on Poker Face right now, which I haven't started. Um, Cast of Us, obviously, is the big one right now. There's a bunch of other ones. Just go to podcastica.com and check them out. There's something for everybody over there. There is literally something for everybody over there. Yes. Whether it be Star Wars, Yellowstone. uh, Trust me. Just go check them out. Uh, Oh, yeah. And we mentioned it last week. We got a little delayed, but you and I are doing a recording on Everything Everywhere All at Once for It's Showtime, folks, on Podcastica. Which we are recording at the time you're hearing this will have already been recorded, but yep. Um, at the time we're recording this, it's tomorrow for us. So can't wait to talk about that movie. Can't wait to me rewatch too. that movie. Yeah, me too. So that being said, thank you for always for being a part of the audience, for liking, subscribing, watching, whatever it is that you do. Please go online and leave us a review if you can. It obviously helps. And subscribe to us on all the socials. Uh, Revisitedpod.com is where you can find all that to reiterate that again. But uh, episode season five, episode nine, namaste next week. But until that time, we'll see you guys further on down that rabbit hole. Take care. Bye. Namaste. We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back! <laughs>